I look at the internal revenue code as Satan's Bible. <laughs> I, call, I call the IRS the internal religion of Satan. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, you know, your audience will take a kick out of that and not report me. But, yeah. uh, but, but like when you start seeing it, you see there's two kingdoms. Yeah. There's the kingdom of the world that's being controlled by we know who, right? But then now I started to see like in the tax code, it was almost as if like God was speaking to me through finances and taxes. Mm. And what's poetic and prophetic is that my birthday is on April 15th. Mm. Mm. It's all tax day. Right. So it's like I was born to be Uncle Sam's worst nightmare. <laughs> to, to, to defund Uncle Sam so that I can, I can fund another kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start uh, a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated exclusively to the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to wolfnyc.com to learn more about the program or apply. Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Yaya Bakar, welcome to the What Is Money Show. Hey, thank you for having me, man. What an honor. I, mean, I remember seeing you on stages. And I'm like, this is a big cool guy. Now here we are. So this, is, this is dope. <laughs> the honor is all mine. Uh, yeah, so we connected originally through Mark Moss's Market Disruptors event. Yes. Um, I don't remember... I went to two of them and spoke with them. I don't remember which one it was. You were a speaker there as well. Um, and just by way of quick introduction, you are a man of God, a family man, and an investor in people and projects that change the world. Um, and so I thought, you know, we could, I'm excited to have you on today because we can talk about 
this area of like wealth preservation, but not just in a pure, boring financial sense, right? I think your work gets into more about how wealth preservation actually changes uh, your generational healing, right? Between parents and children and spiritual healing and all of these things. So, so I'm really excited to talk to you about this because, you know, these domains are typically a little bit esoteric and rarely, if ever, combined. So I thought it's a very interesting combination to talk yeah. about. Um, and I guess before we like dive into that, it'd be really useful just to get a little bit of your story, like who you are, where you come from, how you got into this, this line of work and what kind of work you're doing to help people. Yeah. Um, so again, thank you for having me on, on your show. Uh, it's an honor and, and, and I pray and I hope that people will receive massive value in this. Ultimately, I don't want anybody to just get more information, but to listen to this and, and move towards a deeper transformation in their own lives. So that's, that's my commitment. Um, so I was born in Mecca, Saudi Arabia to a Muslim Syrian father and a Buddhist Thai mother who converted to Islam for my dad. Uh, my dad had me when he was 20 years old. And at that time, you know, he's like a, a young dude, uh, a boy now that I look back mm -hmm. and didn't know what he was doing. My biological mother was 10 years older than him. And, and they, they both didn't speak English properly. So probably not the, not the best suit of arrangement from the beginning. And a few months after I was born, they split up, went separate ways. And I grew up not knowing who my birth mother was. Probably. And my father got married a second time, had a baby with that woman and then divorced and then married again his third time. And the third marriage was a lady who was born in the United States, but was raised in Iraq. And she was the one that basically brought me to the United States when I was five years old. And so I came to the U.S. I grew up in New Jersey, Patterson, New Jersey. Um, and uh, at that time, when I came to the U.S., I kind of felt like a, a fish out of water. I didn't know how to fit in because I kind of looked like this Polynesian, Asian persuasion type of dude, but I was raised by Arabs with sparks and, you know, so, and at that time I didn't have the full sleep. So, um, it was, it was an interesting mix. So I had to learn how to survive and, and fit in growing up. It became like my survival mechanism, my coping mechanism. And when I turned 11 years old, my father came back into the picture and he had some time to build his wealth. So my dad is in, he's a very private guy. But he's a very, very, very wealthy businessman. It's it's not like American wealth. It's like Middle Eastern wealth. Mm. You know, you know, Saudi Arabia is like oil, money, resources. You know, mm. there. So he owns a bunch of businesses: real estate, Egypt, Middle East, Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Owns the largest textile manufacturing company in Saudi Arabia. And at that time, between eleven to eighteen, he was trying to groom me to be the steward of the family wealth. And so he was the one that really taught me a lot about the ins and outs of business, um, how to manage it. Because my job was to not only inherit it, but steward it properly. His job was to build it. So I learned a lot about, you know, board meetings, board of trustees, the proper structures to preserve the wealth, insurance, all this stuff, international uh, assets, what to do, like the do's and don'ts, why people get like all of this as a teenager. Right. So, but during my teen years, all I wanted to do was win the acceptance and approval of my dad and make him proud. Like that's mm -hmm. all I cared about. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
it was, I was just a yes man. Yes, dad. Yes, whatever. I call him Baba in the Arabic dialect. So that, that's what it was. And then when I was 18, uh, my dad wanted me to basically take the reins and just kind of put me into practice and go all in in the family businesses. And I just said, I said, Baba, that's too much pressure for me. I don't want to let you down. I can't mm-hmm. do it. And he was disappointed because I'm the oldest of eight brothers and sisters. And I was supposed to mentor my siblings. But then uh, he was like, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He's like, well, why don't you become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer? Hmm. So I was like, Matt, I don't know. He's like, just become a doctor. So I wasted another four years of undergrad from 18 to like, well, actually three and a half years. Um, from 18 to like 20, 2021. Um, and I was taking my prerequisites to become a, a doctor. But then I dropped out of college. And then my dad kind of kicked me out of the house, got upset. And my 20s was all about me trying to become successful without the need of my dad's help. Uh-huh. So so at that time in my 20s, um, something that I, I didn't mention, when I was 15 years old, I met a girl. This is going to sound weird. I was a, I was a player at, if, between 11 and 15. I know it sounds surprising, right? But my father throughout my time, I, even up until now, he's gotten married 12 times with 12 different women. Wow. That's something that I need to bring up because it'll, it'll show you the heart of why I'm such a champion for families. Mm-hmm. Because I know what's, what it's like to grow up in a dysfunctional one that mm-hmm. has all the money in the world, that money. You know, it's like that money, like all the money that, that you can have available. So um, when I met this girl, she was like, I just fell in love. Sounds cheesy, I know, but I fell in love with her. Uh, but I kept her a secret for seven years because in the Islamic faith, you cannot date women. You have to either get engaged or get married. So, um, but I kept her a secret. She grew up as a Christian. I was Muslim. And then it got to a point where I almost broke up with her and I tried to convert her to Islam. And then we just kind of like said, wait, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong, but we, I know that we love each other. So let's just stick together and make this work. And so we both left our religions. I left Islam. She left Christianity. And we kind of went into this like personal development, new age, you know, journey together. We did five years long distance you know, in, in our relationship after we were together for two years, like it was tough, right? But I knew what I had was something special because I knew what the other side looks like when you're seeing woman after woman after woman after woman after woman. It, it's it's just, you're you're trying to fill a void that yeah. nobody can fill. Yeah, yeah. Right, so so it was like, it was an interesting thing. Um, so that, that was part of like my personal journey. I was, I was trying to figure out myself professionally. Right. So it's, it's crazy because the way that my life played out in my twenties, it was like my personal, my professional, they were tied in together. Uh Like there was no separation really. And, um, when I was 21, when my dad kicked me out of the house, my friend invited me to his home and it was like, yo, dude, you should become like a motivational speaker and life coach for young people. And I'm like, that's a dumb idea. No one's going to listen to a college dropout, give life advice. And he's like, think about it, man. You're you're a positive guy. You like to help people and you got a big mouth. You might as well get paid for it. <laughs> so I slept on it. Next day, I typed in motivational speaking um, uh, and life coaching programs for young people. And I found two programs. One was called Youth Speaker University, 
by a guy named Josh Shipp, and the other was called uh, Robin's Madonna's Training by a guy named Tony Robbins. Uh, and I didn't know who they were. I kind of I've heard of Tony Robbins in the past, but like I didn't really know him. Um, I find out like both of the programs were like nine thousand dollars combined, and I have like fifty thousand dollars of debt, no job, no degree, forty seven bucks in my bank account at twenty one years old, living at my friend's house. And I'm like, there's no way I can invest in any of this. Like these guys are trying to steal people's money. Like that's messed up, right? right? And then I watched a video of Tony Robbins talks about resources versus resourcefulness. It's like, you know, you might not have the resources, but you could be resourceful. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna get resourceful, I'll figure out a way. So I just started cold calling a bunch of people on my phone list and Facebook. I said, hey, I'm gonna change the world. I'm gonna be a motivational speaker and life coach for young people. Like, I just need $9,000, can you help me? <laughs> and so two people said, I'll give you, you know, some money. I raised 4,000 and then I got two jobs. And then I literally, that first year, I ended up being able to invest the full $9,000 amount, which was a lot for me at 21, right? Never invested anything in anything like that. Um, and uh, I became uh, one of Tony Robbins' youngest graduates in his program. And this is like a program with psychologists, psychotherapists, counselors, you know, like older folk, like 30, 40, 50, years old who are professionals and I'm this young kid like hey you know but they don't know what I lived and like I'm like an old soul trapped in a young body mm -hmm. right the trauma that I had to grow through and yeah. then go through right so um and then within that first year I had 40 paid speaking engagements you know which is wow. and, and 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 so people were like whoa what, what did she do I was like I just followed step by step what they told me to do and I just executed right uh and then in, from 2000 and 11 to 2016 i just i niched down in speaking and that became like my thing and speaking was my main you know money maker at that time i spoke about high schools and colleges it was in, i was one of the top speakers in the education market um but one of my big dreams was to build a family that i never had and i know speaking wasn't the right business model uh, and i still was young right uh and that's when when i turned 25 this was in 2013, two big things, three big things happened. One, I wrote a letter that went viral and it got in the hands of a national TV show in Thailand. And I ended up reuniting with my birth mom on national television. Wow. It was crazy. It was a documentary. It was like one of the most watched episodes in Thailand. They call me the son of Thailand over there. And it was like a mate, like it was, a, it was like the crazy, it's a crazy story, right? The first time you saw her was on this tele first time. I reunited. Uh, I know I just kind of like brushed over that, but like it as I was speaking, like like and you know, part of my story is like, yo, I don't have the best relationship with my dad, and I never met who my mom was. And so like I'm constantly sharing the story on stages to inspire people to overcome their challenges, yeah. right? Because that's my story. And then I'm, I'm thinking, I was like, man, I wish I knew who my mom was because I felt like if I found her, my whole life would make sense. Yeah. Right. I don't quite sit in. And I found like if I, if I could find her, I could connect the dots. And oh, in January, it was on January 3rd of 2013, I wrote a thank you letter to my birth mom for giving life to me. And and it was just like a thank you. Like, thank you because I have the most amazing things that I have now. And I don't know who to give credit to. Yeah. Right. And it just got in the right hands at the right time. And within less than 20, I think it was like 24 days. Um, I get a, uh, I get a phone call from my mom and I'm like in tears. I'm shocked. I thought I was dreaming. It was, it was surreal. 
And next month, I'm flying out to Thailand with, you know, my girlfriend, still my girlfriend, you know, after like almost 10 years. And, uh, and I bring my best friends and we go to Thailand for the first time. And I reunite with her, uh, Swanapum airport. It's like, there's a, um, there was a hotel called, I think Novotel right next mm-hmm. to it. And it was in the lobby area. And they, it was like a stage thing. Like she had to go for a business meeting, um, or a, a team meeting. And then I was the waiter who came in with a couple of orange juice to surprise her and shock her. It was like, I oh, cried wow. like, like a little baby. Um, I'm an emotional guy, just warning you right now. So oh, if I cry, it's just, that's just me. <laughs> um, so that happened and it was amazing. And I was like in this, I got to see my grandfather, my grandmother, my cousins. Like I was just looking for my mom. I didn't, I wasn't expecting the, the, the benefits and the packages that came afterwards. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I find out my, my, my grandfather, my, my mom's dad was a general in the air force, a very well-respected general in the air force and, um, ser- served the Royal Thai, Thai army. And in fact, that's how I connected with my mom was because they tried to take her last name but it was a familiar name, but it was misspelled in the Saudi Arabian birth certificate. Mm. And so um, they found it and that's how I reunited. And he was like 87 at the time when I met him, uh, he had like a huge bandaid on his right hand. And I was like, what happened? And he was like, he got me like this mango, like this like apple mango. Mm. He climbed this dude, 87 year old grandpa, climbed his mango tree to get me this mango. Like, I was like, that's in my blood, yo. <laughs> that is that's incredible. 87. Right. So it's so it was like a it was like a beautiful moment for me. And then and then a few months afterwards, I found out like it was it was traumatic. My my mom found out she had some mental issues. I don't know if it was like bipolar or schizophrenia, but she mm-hmm. wasn't mentally capable of being a mother. Mm-hmm. Um and it caused a lot of like trauma. Like there was like narcissistic patterns and behaviors and you know, I'm like equipped in personal development. So I kind of like know these things. I could see that are flat. But when I ran out with my mom, it wasn't the like the motivational speaker, life coach, Yaya. It was uh, the five-year-old kid who didn't know who his mom was now just found his mom, mm-hmm. you know? And so I was blindsided by that and it, it broke me. And she ended up like ripping my baby picture of her and I together, throwing it in my face and saying some hurtful things like, you're not my son. And like it was just, it just, it was like such a roller coaster. Like I just reunited with her and then she just left me again and it, it messed me up. And then I got mad and I was like, you know what? The grass is greener on the other side, which is not true. The grass is greener where you water it. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, I'm going to build the family that I want. And so on my 10 year anniversary with Kate, my girlfriend, I proposed to her and, uh, I proposed to her and I was like, okay. Now I'm going to start my own family. So I go to Florida where my dad was living and I fly out to invite my father to come to my wedding. And my father asked me the dreaded question that I was avoiding for many years. He asked me, are you Muslim or are you not Muslim? And the truth of the matter was like, and my, the reason why I never wanted to answer him directly, even though I was spiritual at the time, um, was simply because I knew that if I told him the truth, he would disown me. Because in the Islamic faith, you know, you're either faith, my dad was a religious guy, you know, or you can't. So I lied to him initially. I was like, of course I'm Muslim. Why would I pray five times a day and fast on Ramadan, the whole thing? And then I flew back home 
the next few days, I'm like crying my eyes out and I'm like asking the universe, why, why, why me? Why do I have to go through all of this this year? You know? And I just finally told my dad the truth. I'm like, Baba, I'm not Muslim the way that you want me to be a Muslim. If you want to call me a Muslim, you might as well call me a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, a Buddhist, because I believe in living by the values and the principles of every great messenger and prophet. Mm-hmm. And I don't care about the title. And that's, that, was a tr- that was my truth at that point in time, right? And he just disowned me. He's like, you're not my son. And in the, now here's what's crazy. This is something about learning about trust and what my dad taught me. In depending on the, some, some assets that are created, depending on where they're created, the laws that they're created under, in the Islamic law, if, you're, if any beneficiaries of a trust are, are no longer part of the faith, then they no longer belong to the family inheritance. Oh, wow. So by me telling the truth, mm. I'll just play on the safe side. I've said no to millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh-huh. That could have been mine. Uh-huh. Not that I wanted it, but I'm just like, it was that it was there, but I wasn't motivated by that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I was more concerned of losing my relationship with my dad. Wow. Cause now I just found my mom. Now she left me and now my own dad is leaving me. My blood. <laughs> so I felt like, I felt almost like worse than an orphan because sometimes as an orphan, you don't know what happened to your parents. Maybe they died, maybe they right. didn't need you, want you. But I felt like both of my parents had the choice. You felt disowned by both of your parents. Yeah, at the same at the same time at 25 and like in a matter of less than 10 months. Um, can I ask so, you something, actually, because in preparing for this interview, I was watching some of your clips. Mm-hmm. And there was one that really struck me that I wanted to ask you about, but now seems like the right time. You mentioned that your father had you when he was 20 years old. Your biological mother was 10 years older, so she was 30. Um, And then you said in this clip, I think you were 30 years old. Uh, You were 30 years old at the time of the clip or the time you're reflecting on it, but you basically said something like, at some point in your life, you came to empathize with your father and understand that he was just a boy when he had you, right? He's 20 years old. Yes. Yeah. First, it was the first time you saw the father that you saw the child in your father. Yeah, the father in me saw the child in him. Father and you saw the child in him, and that led you towards like empathy and forgiveness for the painful experiences that he had yeah. you through. Because just as much as the good experiences he had contributed to your life, they led to you becoming who you are. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I'm like, I'm so grateful for my dad. I'm so grateful for my mom because they've, the, the pain, every, every wound, every wound is a wound that will give birth to your purpose. Mm. But it requires some pain in the process mm-hmm. before the delivery happens. Mm-hmm. And so what I didn't realize was that God's hand has been on my life. And he had me go through certain things because he was preparing me for what he wanted me to do for him. Mm. Now, this is like, like, I guess we're going to move in this direction, right? It was after that period, I got mad. I was like, I'm going to be the father that my dad never was. So I went through my, my bout of anger and I used my, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions to will myself into success. And I became the version of success 
that I was trying to embody mm-hmm. became family man first, businessman last. I like, I'm, I'm going to achieve financial success, but I'm not going to be emotionally bankrupt along the way. I'm going to be successful, but not, not sacrificing my family. So I be, built the business models to become the best role model for the ones that I love. And that was a standard. That was a non-negotiable. Like for five years of my life, I literally only worked from 12 to five. Mm-hmm. I've said no to multiple speaking interviews. I've said, why? Because there's a non-negotiable. I don't want to leave my family. Uh-huh. And between the, you know, 2018 to, to now where we're 20, uh, 2023, mm-hmm. I had kids along the way. Mm-hmm. So for me to be able to, to be present, I have my daughter, Kaya, at two, in 2018. And then I had my twins, Taj and Amira, in 2020. And so, like, I was preparing for this opportunity to be, like, the best role model. And I'm not perfect. Like, don't get me wrong. I, and now I realize, like, wow, like, I'm having a hard time being a father at 30, 31, 30. Like, can you imagine that at 20? Uh-huh. I was probably his motivator yeah. to be like, hey, take care. I, but when I come back, like, he probably, when he came back to see me at 11, after like, what is that? Like 10 years of not seeing me, a decade of not seeing me. Coming back, he probably was trying to make me so proud. Like, hey, I worked so hard. Here's you. This is for you. And no. I'm going to prepare you. So I can sense the love and the pride that he had for all the, for what he was building, you know? So it was very, very hard because I knew how hard he worked to do, you know, to, to give everything to me for, and, and siblings, right? So- it was it was a long you know it was a it was a long process but it really was the it was really the opportunity for me to grow through what I need to go through to put me in a position for my purpose now which I was is just gonna say yeah it sounds like your path really led you towards what you are doing right I mean it's 100%. your um, I've thought this a lot too about myself I have a weird path too that got me into this Bitcoin world but um it's it's interesting. There's just weird coincidences in our life and strange forks in the road. And looking backward, you're almost like it couldn't have been any other way. How else would I? How else would I be equipped to do what I'm doing today without these painful experiences and setbacks and et cetera, et cetera? And so, for you, I mean, your father obviously very adept at accumulating wealth, and then was trying to teach you at a young age how to be a good steward of that wealth. Um, but you had personal falling out with both him and your mother. So I imagine you're learning a great deal of independence and self-sufficiency throughout this process, deciding to strike out on your own and create, create the family you never had, something like that. And, um, so how does that then lead you into this world of wealth preservation? Um, because you're in the speaking world and then now you've at least, at least partially in this wealth preservation world. Yeah. Uh, so what what is the path then from from where you were in life to to where you are today? So in in 2020, I think 2020 was a life changing year for many people. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Right? So, um, but what I started seeing going on in 2020 kind of shook me because my twins were born in January, and and I let's just call it the the Papa Bear in me. Mm-hmm. was fully like activated yeah and i saw what was going on i saw the lockdowns i saw and i just knew we're in a wealth transfer 
And I knew they're coming after baby boomers assets. And I knew that this had nothing to do with what they're claiming it, it to be. I just knew. And I started seeing things happening. And like the wealth transfer is an interesting one because it's happening generationally, geopolitically, technologically, and even spiritually. Mm. And I started seeing this. And I'm like, why isn't it? So I started using my platform. I didn't have a, I don't have a big platform. I had about 88,000 subscribers on YouTube. At the time, I had about 50,000 some in on Instagram. But I had good engagement on my Instagram. I had like 30,000 views per story. Mm. Right? I started using my social media to expose, and I was unapologet- unapologetically self-expressed here, what I believed was going on. Mm-hmm. And literally, I went from 30,000 views to 3,000. And what what I'm what I'm I want to share with you that I, I kind of like missed was from twenty from twenty from 2017 to 2020 was like I shifted my business model from speaking and coaching full time to um, basically moving into the online space and teaching people how to monetize their brand mm-hmm. and their expertise. And so that was really like my first um, like multi million dollar year in 2018. Uh, on my by myself and learning how to build this, so I became like the secret weapon behind some very big influencers, some thought leaders on looking at different revenue streams or verticals to monetize their influence. So I was building that out, but and so what people knew me as on social media was this motivational personal brand, social media guy. How to how to do that? So when I started speaking about what I was speaking about, they saw another side of me. I lost a bunch of followers. I lost the so I was. But I, I took a stand. I believe like your your brand has to take a stand mm-hmm. in, in order for people to know. Like there's no lukewarm. Like where do you stand? Like right. create a divide. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res three-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, The Gold Investment Letter. The Gold Investment Letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold, silver, and mining stocks. The Gold Investment Letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector, and then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects. The Gold Investment Letter explores many complex domains, such as investor psychology, portfolio management, and macroeconomic trends, all with the goal of making you a better investor. The Gold Investment Letter offers a free version and a paid premium version, and I strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues, 
I can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information. You can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. And so um, when I did that, I noticed there was, a, there was a shift and more and more people were like, okay, well, what do we do if this is all true? then what, it, what does it look like, right? So I knew that the first area they're going to go after were the baby boomers, right? Because at any time there's a wealth transfer, they usually look for assets that are already available, but they'll go after people who don't have their affairs in order. Right. And if they go after the baby boomers, and let's say the baby boomers want to pass on whatever their wealth is to the millennials or the Gen Zers, whoever the, the next in line is, Gen Xers, most of them don't, they're not financially literate enough to steward their wealth. So it's going to go back into Uncle Sam's hand anyway. Mm -hmm. And these were things like all of a sudden, everything that my dad was teach, taught me in my teenage years started coming back. Mm -hmm. I remember him telling me the name of the game is not to have anything under your name. I remember him telling me, you know, don't own anything. Like, what are you trying to do? Build your ego? Why, why are you telling people what your net worth is? They shouldn't know. You should look broke. Mm -hmm. like, like all of these things he would tell me. And he would say like, LLCs are just stand for large lawsuit comings, hmm. like, you know, large law lawsuit coming. Right. So I didn't, I didn't understand it because I didn't have the capacity or the maturity to understand what he was talking about. But later on, after I started building success on my own terms, my own ways, like I wasn't like most of these influencers at the time who made a lot of money, but spend it on stupid things. Right. I knew how to preserve my wealth with the right structures and the right vehicles. So so I, so what I realized is my industry, most of them, they don't know that kind of information and they don't know the world of trust as much as people claim to do. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started teaching people behind closed doors, family. I went, I went offline, I went uh, offline completely. So I, I didn't focus my efforts online anymore because I knew it was just a matter of, you know, my reach was going to be censored. So I'd rather, and everybody online can have an opinion about you, but. There are certain people that will have an experience when they get to know you. Mm -hmm. So I, I shifted my business model to start helping high net worth individuals and affluent families. And I targeted them because I know that's who they were after. Right. Worse. Right. And so they needed to hear the message of building generational wealth, but healing generational wounds simultaneously. Because the biggest problem when it comes to estate planning and succession planning is not the structures. It's the emotional baggage and the emotional immaturity with the sense of entitlement and the lack of literacy that's involved with certain structures. Mm -hmm. So I knew about all of this. So I created my, my own firm and then I partnered up with an attorney because at the end of the day, I'm not an attorney, I'm not an accountant, I'm not an advisor, I'm just a consultant. And, but I, I like my sister-in-law is, is an estate planning attorney and I was teaching her about the law. I was like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what it said in the tax code. And so it's interesting, like I started going back to reading the tax code. And when you start realizing, when you look at the relationship between taxes and ownership, you can start seeing where slavery and freedom still exists. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, we, say, we share this a lot on the show. I'll just bring it up because very relevant point. The definition of a slave is someone whose effective tax rate is 100%, right? Or all the, <laughs> literally all the fruits of your labor go to a tax authority. That's what a slave is by definition. 
And then someone who has a 0% effective tax rate is a sovereign, right? Whether it's a sovereign individual or a sovereign nation, someone that pays taxes to no one. So if you want to know what percentage of slave you are, all you need to do is determine your effective tax rate. And it's a brutal, cold, hard truth, but it is what it is, right? If you can't control the fruits of your labor, then you are not free. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And, And like I tell people, you pay taxes on what you claim to own, but you don't pay taxes on what you owe. So this whole notion of, I know people have heard it, own nothing, control everything. That's not entirely true. Mm-hmm. You definitely don't want to own anything. And this is not for everybody, right? Just, just that's the big disclaimer here, right? right? Uh, 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 when it comes to asset protection, there are different types of vehicles. Now, from, from a structural, like we can have this conversation on a structural level, and we can also have this conversation on a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. I started seeing the spiritual side of this warfare and this transfer, okay? Mm-hmm. But when I was seeing it, so while this was happening, okay, while I'm seeing this and I'm like, I felt like, you know, this patriot who's like, oh, freedom, I'm a truth seeker, I'm a freedom fighter, I'm a, you know, like this, this whole thing, which I felt, you know, like, why don't you guys wake it up? What's going on? Hmm. I started losing hope. Cause I'm like, these people, even when they start seeing the truth, they don't have the courage yeah yeah i started getting mad i was like what what's what and then i started getting like depressed because like i'm just this one guy and i don't even have half the reach that all these people have like why and they don't want they're um, understandably slow they don't want to lose what they worked so hard to build yeah their reputation on the line yeah so they're like having this like moral ethical dilemma yeah and, and I'm feeling it stronger than most people because I got three kids and I'm mad about what my kids are going to inherit. Yeah. Like, this is not the world that I want them to inherit. And if I can, if I can make a difference or if I could use my voice or the gift of gab that I got, then I'm going to make it known where I stand. Mm-hmm. So like, I, this is, this is like the mindset that I had, but behind closed doors, I was getting more and more depressed and I was getting more and more upset. And I was like, this is not good. Now in 2020, something else happened. My younger brother, who was also who was next in line to inherit the family wealth, he was working for my dad. I found out that he almost committed suicide. Oh man! So in this is in mid twenty twenty. So while this was going on, as I'm being a, like a father of three now, and having and seeing this and trying to be this patriot and this truth seeker and lover and whatever, now I have my younger brother, who I love and care about, who I warn not to get into the family business with my dad. Mm-hmm. It was literally at that time, this is before I accepted Christ into my life. It was it was at that moment, I felt like a voice saying, call your brother. Mm. And so I called my brother and literally when I called him, I knew something was off. I said, where are you? He was literally 30 minutes away from, I thought he was in the Middle East, but he was 30 minutes away where my dad used to live. Mm. And I went to go pick him up and literally hills, like it was that close, gone. Yes. So it was... God speaking to me at that point in time, mm. but I didn't know it was God. So I had like like these things that were happening. Let's call them random coincidences or whatever you want to call, but they're really miracles in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And they were just ha- so I said, let me let me clean up my brother, let me mentor him, and that's when I started taking my role as a father figure very seriously. Mm. I was not his just older brother; I was his father now, protecting him. And so this is when I started taking the role of the protecting family wealth, being the CEO of your last name, the whole thing. Hey, you guys should consider 
operating in trust. And here's how trust is supposed to be operated, not in the way that you're thinking. And all of these things is what, not just what my dad taught me from actual experience the right way, right? But he also, like in, in, in 20, it was in 2018, but more so in 2020, I started revisiting the tax code. I look at the internal revenue code as Satan's Bible. <laughs> I, call, I call the IRS the internal religion of Satan. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, you know, your audience will take a kick out of that and not report me. But, yeah. uh, but, but like when you start seeing it, you see there's two kingdoms. Yeah. There's the kingdom of the world that's being controlled by we know who, right? But then now I started to see like in the tax code, it was almost as if like God was speaking to me through finances and taxes. Mm. And what's poetic and prophetic is that my birthday is on April 15th. Mm. It's on tax day. Right. So it's like I was born to be Uncle Sam's worst nightmare <laughs> to, <laughs> to defund Uncle Sam so that I could I can fund another kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> So when you start looking at the tax code, now this is, um, it's, it's, can I geek out a little bit? Please, we geek, we love geeking out. So let me let me break this down because this is where I'm going to get philosophical, but I'm going to get practical at the same time, okay? I'm going to start with the philosophical side, okay? When you look at the wealth transfer that's happening, we just discussed generationally, geopolitically, technologically, and spiritually. Here's the spiritual side, okay? To me, it's black and white. There are two kingdoms. The kingdom of man, that's trying to act like God to govern your affairs. Mm. We call them the alphabet mafia. But then there's the kingdom of God. Right. It's reflected in the Bible. This is my my belief. Because I accepted Christ into my life uh, on March 16, 2022. And it was a complete encounter. I tell people all the time, they ask me, wow, why do you call yourself Christian now? I was like, I was like listen, you, there's nothing anybody could have ever said to ever convince me. Convince me. Whether you call it in scripture you could do whatever it was. There's nothing you could have convinced me that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Nothing. I had an encounter where I, he touched me in my, on my heart. Right. And I didn't know it was him. And I had to wrap my head around what in the world just happened. I became a Jesus freak like overnight. Mm. It didn't make any sense to me. And so I tell people I never converted to Christianity. I got transformed by Christ. There's two different things. Now, I didn't understand why it happened. Like, why me? Like, why? In the Bible, it talks about, I, you, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Mm -hmm. I appointed you. And I'm like, I'm the most unqualified dude. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, I used to hate people who are Jesus freaks. Now I'm one of them. Right? Like, like I'm more of like the guy who's like the wisdom of the world. Like, you know, different ways to the same same top. You know, like, that's that was kind of like me. I did, you know, channeling, like learning from different schools of thought, new age. That was, that was like my vibe. Right. But now I could understand and where the state of the world is, I can understand why he chose me and why right now he's choosing people like Pop Cam. Mm -hmm. Like all these people, they, in the Bible it says you worship in spirit and in truth. So those who are fighting for the truth, they don't realize that they were doing God's bidding. Mm -hmm. So they were fighting but they didn't capture his spirit yet. So now that I got his spirit, so this is the spiritual side. When the enemy goes after God's children, he goes after in two ways. God's, uh, when I say God's children, I'm, I'm saying the anointed, appointed, and ordained by God, the set apart. 
the ones that she has called, he'll go after them in two ways, identity and jurisdiction. If you break out the word identity, you get ID, entity. Identify the entity. Okay, that's one. Identify the entity. Now, structurally and legally, in the legal world, this is called a person. Mm -hmm. If you go to Title 26, USC, Section 7701A, a person is construed to mean an individual, mm -hmm. a corporation, a partnership, a trust, an estate. So these are different persons. Yeah. So at that means, in according to the tax code, the entity that you elect, that you identify, that holds the liability of the property and that operates commercially will have a different tax liability. Mm -hmm. That's an identity. Now, jurisdiction, the word jurisdiction, juris means law, diction means word, like dictionary. So it's the law of words. So which law of words are you following and are you under the jurisdiction? Does that make sense? So this is where they say the contract is the law under different contracts, basically different pieces of paper with a bunch of words that are called contracts yeah. that determine what jurisdiction you're under and what rules and regulations you need to follow. And according to our world here in, in the United States, contract is the law. There's the state government, there's the federal government, they follow a certain type of law. Mm -hmm. And every entity is registered under a certain jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the structure side. But in the Bible, it's pretty black and white. It's very simple. The Bible, what I realized, is a trust. Mm. It's a trust from our Heavenly Father, who we're all, we all belong to Him, we're under His authority. And he's giving us the keys to the kingdom, a.k.a. he's telling us what's in our inheritance. Mm. So in order for a trust to be valid, now I'm going to educate people who don't know about trust. In order for a trust to be valid, there are three minimum of three parties, main parties. The grantor, who basically either conveys or creates the assets into the trust. Okay, There's the trustee who basically oversees and control, uh, oversees the, the trust assets the and then they're the beneficiaries, yeah. okay? The trustee, they have a duty and obligation to make sure the assets appreciate in value for the benefit of the beneficiaries. The beneficiaries, they're the ones take technically entitled to the assets. Okay, now, most people, so if you look at a triangle, right? A triangle, you got the grantor on the left side, you got the trustee on the top side, and then you got the the um, the beneficiaries on, on the right side, okay? This is the trinity. So the reason why I bring this up is because spiritually, I see what's going on now. And I see what God is doing on a large scale. And here's the area that the enemy is going after fatherhood and families. I can guarantee 99% of problems in this world is because of a lack of fathers mm. or a lack of a healthy family dynamic. And the reason why that's going on is because that's exactly what the enemy needs to fuel to destroy God's design and plan. 
Because what does he say in the Bible? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. It's every agenda attached to depopulation. Right. Right. Every right. agenda. And what is every identity politics about? Confusing you about your identity. Right. Why? Because as long as you're an orphan and you don't know who you are, then you're looking for a place to belong. Right. And if they can put a name on you, they made a claim on you. Right. This is the spiritual psychological battle that's happening right before our eyes. That's what I was going to say earlier to you, because identity and jurisdiction, these are key instruments of taxation. Like a, a useful way to think about the nation state or the jurisdiction that you inhabit is like, is it, it is a tax farm. Effectively, you are the crop, right? So you are there to create wealth, work, trade, accumulate assets. And then the job of the state is to come and harvest the crop, which is the assets and the purchasing power you accumulate as a productive market actor. And so it's interesting that that, that is kind of the battleground. Um, you know, who are you? Where do you live? Who has... Here's what I'd say. Else? This is what I say. It's go back to the kingdom. Go back to the kingdom. People right. who pay taxes usually pay taxes to the king. Yeah. Right? The right. common folk, the farmers, the blacksmith, they pay taxes to the king. That means the assets were on the kingdom's territory. Yeah. Okay? The reason why the trust came out at back in the day was because when the king wanted to recruit more soldiers for his army to expand his territory, mm -hmm. he had to recruit the farmers, the, the, the simple folk, the commoners. But they ended up getting smart. Because they said, hey, if I die in this war for your expansion, what's going to be left for my children and my family? Right. And so what the king would issue is a title and a deed to show them ownership. Right. What the person who was about to go in battle to fight the king's war would do, she would find a trustee, an overseer, usually someone in the church, yeah. who would say, hey, this I'm putting all of the things that I own into this new document called the trust, you are going to be the trustee. I need you to oversee these affairs for my children. If I come back, if I come back and I'm not happen to be alive, you have legal title control. I have equitable use and so do my beneficiaries. Right. So now they can use it. So really, like I like to bring it back to the kingdom because really, this is how I'm seeing it. It's just kingdom. Yeah. To me in the kingdom, there's only one sovereign Lord. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Right. And the reason why I bring this up is because back back before, like in my from twenty twenty from twenty twenty to like early before, you know, before March twenty twenty two, I was in this world of uh, you know, freedom. Um, you know, I want my freedom in this whole bit. But what I didn't realize, it was like it was almost like anarchy. Mm -hmm. There's 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 an interesting dynamic between our relationship with authority, especially in the United States. Uh -huh. I believe God wants us to be under his authority. Why? Because when you're under the right authority, you're under the right covering and protection, which means you're under the right jurisdiction uh -huh. because you belong to someone. So what was crazy was like these two things were happening to me. Like I'm growing business side and doing this and helping families. But there was something that was happening spiritually that I had to like figure out. I was an orphan spirit. Yeah. Who was looking for a father. Right. Yeah. Father, father figure. A father figure. And I finally found that father figure through Jesus. Jesus says, uh, you know, uh, in, I think it's John 
14, 6, he says, you know, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one could come to the Father except through me. Right. When you look at that structure of a trust, let's say the triangle is God. We don't say that God, you know, is, um, you don't say that there are three triangles. You say there are three sides of this one triangle. Yeah. So God has three sides of him. The Father, the Son, and his Spirit. Right. And each one has a certain benefit. It's the same thing with a trust. We don't say, you know, it's one trust, but the one trust has three different roles. Mm -hmm. It's the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary. And there are certain benefits that we are here to inherit if we do things properly. So what I'm seeing in the world, as we start seeing the evil that's being marketed and we see, mm -hmm. you know, the pace for artificial intelligence and cloning and tech and all this stuff like there's a massive progression what i'm also seeing it is god's kingdom he's building he's raising an army of generals and leaders who are not just fighting for truth but now they're fighting in the spirit yes and so yeah I, I I, I could just jump. there's so many things here I, because okay <laughs> i were listening to this podcast let's call it five years ago i'd be like who are these lunatics talking about jesus and god and wealth preservation <laughs> like they're, they're two totally disconnected domains they have nothing to do with each other but i just want to insert a few things here um and these are from books that i've read and you know just in the interest of trying to put the whole big picture together one i would say is this book inventing the individual which actually talks about before christ we did not even consider the individual a social role. Mm. What we had was, uh, they called it the paterfamilias. And essentially, the patriarch in every family owned the family, right? The father could kill his children in broad daylight in the streets, and it was completely and totally legal because they were his property. He could bequeath all of his wealth to any or none of his kids, and that was totally legal because it was his property. He physically owned the family. It was a patriarchy. It was like a tribal patriarchic society. Post-Christ, um, through legal reforms, um, through you know uh, St. Paul and like this whole lineage of, of um, spiritual teachers, the martyrs, where they gradually reformed the law such that we started to recognize the individual as the primary social unit. Right, people. We had individual property rights, individual liberty, individual human rights. All of these things that we think are just natural moral intuitions today. That's not. They're not natural moral intuitions. We had to progress to this stage, and Christ is a key element to that progression. Now, just again here, it doesn't even matter if Christ ever existed as a human. It doesn't matter if he ever existed as a god. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that he, his mythology is part of, it is the bedrock of Western civilization. So when John signed the Magna Carta in 1213, that we have life, liberty, and inviolable private property, that was all based on a Christian ethos. So we are, we are humans that inhabit these stories that we create. It, again, I don't need to argue with you about the the historicity of Christ or the theology of Christ. We just say it is what it is, right? Christ is part of our historical narrative and we have private property rights in the West because of that progression. Second thing I would like to hi highlight, if you go even deeper down, 
into like Neoplatonism. Neoplatonism never described God as a deity. It was never a guy in the sky. There was none of that. It was this philosophical notion. And it's very difficult to describe, but I'll try to give just a succinct version here. God was often described as the force that cohered hierarchies together. So when you're saying God is not, this is like the Trinitarian formula, right? There's the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Ghost is God, but God is not any of the three. God is like the unification of the three. It, so it was this force that cohered hierarchies together and produced overflow, what made them more than the sum of their parts. So it was this philosophical notion, not a guy in the sky, and it was the Christian tradition that inherited that notion of God. So again, it's not, so people that want to get warded off or freaked out by the word God, I think you just have to look at it a little bit differently more deeply, let's say. And then also, as you mentioned about having the need for a father figure and the need for a role model, yeah. you get into Brene Girard's work on mimesis, right? I've only read his book, Things Hidden Since the Foundation of the World. There's another book written by a guy inspired by him called Wanting Mimetic Desire. And he just describes how humans are creatures that are constantly imitating one another. If you have children, you've seen this, right? They uh, they, it doesn't matter what you tell that child to do. They do what you do. They emulate you, they imitate you. That's how they learn. That's how they grow. Yep. That process never stops. That's just why we become the, the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We're constantly imitating one another subconsciously. Now, it doesn't just have to be interpersonal interactions. You can imitate heroes. You can imitate mythological figures. You can imitate people from stories, real or like truth or fiction. And so Christ, I think, if you look at it in that respect, Gerard argues that Christ is like the revelation of this mimetic game they're always playing. And that the ultimate human consciousness is basically Christ, where you meet, you know, betrayal with compassion, you meet attacks with love, you know, turn the other cheek. Like it's the ultimate way of being, the ultimate mode of being for a human. Uh, and the, the last thing I'll say, sorry, I'm dumping a lot, but you're just, oh, man, I'm loving this. I lied to you going off as you were talking. Yeah. And um, you talked about man, you know, the tax code, the uh, tax code being like man trying to play God, right? Where we're trying to say, oh, here's the code. Here, we're, some guys are going to write this down and then enforce it by violence, essentially. Uh, I use, I go to the word fiat a lot on this. We talk about fiat currency often, but there's also legislation by fiat, which is where someone writes a law and then says, you follow this law or else we'll hurt you. That's not the only form of legislation. Before legislation by fiat, we had legislation by discovery or natural legislation, which is we observe people having these problems over thousands of years. We document how they resolve it. And that gradually ossifies into a law or a tradition or a custom that we follow, right? We discovered the law. We didn't, no individual guy or guy sat down and wrote the law and enforced it. It was this natural discovery process. And, and we have this in things like the English common law tradition. The original term fiat was fiat lux. And that was when God said, let there be light, right? God decreed existence uh, into being, let's say. And so I think when you say man's kind of playing God when he's writing these tax codes and enforcing by force, I think it's literally true, right? Human beings, there is no, no human is authorized to tell another human what to do. Right? It, it's fundamentally like uh, a, a 
a betrayal of what we naturally are, right? As self-determining, critical thinking, rational beings. We don't need someone by violence to tell us what to do. And it sounds like, okay, great, that's a nice arbitrary subjective moral principle. But it turns out, if you follow that principle, you create real prosperity, real innovation, real human flourishing in the world. So, um, you know, what God told us, right? Do not lie and love your love your fellow man, basically. Yes, a hundred percent. And if we could just do those two things, which a lot of this would have to do with abolishing taxation, abolishing statism, abolishing central banking, then we can actually create a better world. Right? It's not just it's not just pretend fairy tales, two guys talking make believe, which is what I would have thought had I listened to this conversation five years ago. But yeah, these very real things. Two years ago, two yeah. years ago, I wouldn't believe right. these guys are out of their mind. Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm out of my mind. This guy, yeah. Jesus, like keep that. Like I didn't even share like my testimony and how I even came to the conclusion that I have because. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send, and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. As I said, it wasn't an intellectual decision for me. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. Only way I can, and it wasn't even psychological, philosophical. It was none of that. It was a spiritual encounter. Like, even when it, as you were speaking, I could tell the frameworks that you've described were almost like, like psychological, in the, in, the, in the Bible, in, in um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, it talks about the body, the soul, and the spirit. Most people think the soul and the spirit are one and the same thing. They're not. Uh-huh. The body belongs to the earth. The spirit belongs to the creator. Uh-huh. But the soul is what, what, what God and the enemy are after. Uh-huh. The soul is made out of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Uh-huh. So, so most, like when I was like strong personal development and everything like that, that was, my, I had a strong soul. Uh-huh. Right? But I also had a strong spirit, but I didn't know these things. When you look at the Bible and you look at like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, they talk about things of the spirit. Uh-huh. But 
There's a difference between human wisdom, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, difference between human wisdom and the power of God. Mm. What's lacking in the kingdom is the demonstration of power. Mm. When when Jesus was talking about greater, greater is he that is in you than that in the world, and the kingdom of heaven is in you, that means when you know your actual inheritance in this trust called the Bible, and you start coming alive in Christ, now you can demonstrate signs, wonders, and miracles. You can heal the blind, the sick, that you, you could be able to, you know, deliver. So there's spiritual things that are happening. When you look at the like before, before 2022, before I accepted Christ into my life, I was seeing things through the lens of the intellect. Mm-hmm. I have a strong mind. Mm-hmm. Right? You do as well. So I'm seeing things like psychological, matter of fact, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm giving power to paper mm-hmm. and politics. Yeah, that's where, like the where it stayed. That's kind of like the way that I moved. But in 2022 and beyond, I got exposed to the supernatural, not from watching videos of people doing it. Like my life is supernatural in how I'm living right now. There's if I told you certain things, you wouldn't believe me. You think I'm out of my mind. And you're right, I am out of my mind. Because <laughs> you're in your heart. My mind is not running anymore. It's the mind of Christ that's alive. Right. So when you start this is this is what I deeply, wholeheartedly believe. And I listen, I've been with my wife's for it'll be twenty years in August. Okay. I have three kids. My receipts are in the relationships that I've acquired and I've maintained. Uh-huh. Okay? Like I'm I'm a relationship guy. I swear on my relationships, on my family and on my children. I've never experienced anything more real than Jesus. Hmm. I've never, and my prayer is for people to have an encounter. Like, normally this is an interview. We're talking about money, politics. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, the love of money is the root of all all evil. It didn't say money is the root of the love of money. If money was a person... People are codependent on on money too much. Yes, yes. If 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 she's not help giving it to you, and not like your your sense of security and identity and your mm. worth gets twisted and perverted. So what I believe is every crisis is drawing us closer to Christ. Whether yeah. you've accepted Him or not is irrelevant, right? Because in 2020, I wasn't, I didn't believe in Christ. Yeah. I was speaking about the truth. And I was fighting for our freedoms, and I was like, this, 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 this. Here's what you need to do. But it, I was still missing, I was still missing the key, which is authority. Yeah. What I think is people need to understand authority in a different lens. And they need to, they said uh, in the Bible, it said the letter killeth, but the word gives life. Right. Huh. So what, ne- what people need to come alive is starting to see how to operate what's going, what's happening in the world. So now when I sit down with families, right, I'm not like this. I'm I'm sharing this with you and with your audience because it's the right demographic. But usually, like let's say it's a, it's a you know a family whose net worth is a hundred million dollars, right? And this is either they're the first generation wealth creators or they're the inheritors and successors, which is very rare, you know rare to you between. Mm-hmm. But the next in line, they're coming in and they're like, well, you know, I'm I'm entitled to have this whole thing, you know, and I'm I'm about to make all this money. And 90, 90% of succession planning fails because of entitlement. That's where the word entitlement comes from. It's the, the title is the name that determines the claim of ownership. Right. Right. So they want this. Oh, I want 
my job is to come in almost as like a mentor. I have all the professionals to come in and set the right structures, but the problem is not having the right structure. You can have the right structure, but navigating the wrong spirits. Right. Yeah. This is so key. And I want to, I want to share a definite, again, the things you're sharing, very important, very impactful. And then I try to pull them back up into rationality because this is how I would have interpreted it years ago. Had someone tried to put it through this filter. Uh, and I credit Jordan Peterson doing this really well, right? He goes to the Bible with kind of a scientific lens and that helps, uh, helps make it more real, right? It reifies the, these, these hard to discuss concepts for me. And actually a, a definition of spirit Peterson, I think used this originally was, uh, the spirit is a pattern which propagates independent of substrate. So it's like a meta pattern, right? Something that's occurring in at multiple levels, you might say. So when we say things like the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God, again, it's not this metaphysical fairy tale thing. It's more like the pattern that's propagating psychologically, technologically, physically. And when we, you know, the the Bible is like the the condensed version of all of those principles. It, it's like this moral chronicling of human development. So if you go in the Old Testament. God is very different than the God of the New Testament. It's because there's been a progression, there's been a change, there's been an evolution of that spirit. So um, again, I just wanted to throw that out there, that spirit's another word that that appears to people, but... Spirit is a pattern. Yeah. The word comes from padre. Hmm. Padre means source, like Abba. (laughs) Father means source. So the source of all spirit comes from the father. Yeah, source of all patterns comes from the father. Right. So if you look at like let's 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 get practical and realistic for just a moment, right? There are certain people who have addictions. There are certain people who have real psychological challenges. You know, mental health disorders, depression, whatever they they're called, right? And sometimes it's a pattern that keeps showing up mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. over and over again. You can go in a different place, meeting a different person, but the theme or the pattern or the crisis is almost the same. It's wherever you go, there you are. The question is, why? Now, some people, for me, I I can be completely real with your audience. Mm-hmm, please. Okay. March 16th, I accepted, right? It was a subjective experience. I didn't convince anybody. I didn't tell anybody. It was like an intimate relationship between me and him. Mm-hmm. Right? That's it. August, August, I'm starting to like, hear God. Sounds crazy to a lot of people, but I'm telling you, God speaks to everyone. They just don't know it. In Job 33, verse 14, he says, I speak it once, yet, and yes, twice, but man perceive it not. And mm-hmm. twice in a vision and in a dream. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse uh, 17, he says, In the in the end of times, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men will have visions, old men will dream dreams. So the same way that the sun shines on everyone without discrimination, people have dreams and vision. That's God speaking to them through the mm-hmm. soul. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when God is speaking to you in there, you might not give credit to the source, but you're seeing the signs. Right. You're getting the so this is where, you know, people who are in new age, they have psyche, they can see certain things. This is how they're getting it. They're getting it through the images and the impressions of their imagination. Mm-hmm. Now, the enemy has confused people to think 
that your imagination is a form of pretend, make-believe, hallucination. So true. But your imagination is a portal of communication from the one who created the images and planted them in your head. So this, these are things of the spirit that people don't have the literacy to understand and navigate. Man. So this is why I'm saying, like, if somebody tried to convince me about the Bible, most people will call themselves Christians. I wouldn't believe them. Yes. Because they're not spirit-filled. They're not spirit. Like, I, like I was more spiritual than them. As right. a new age, as a person who believed in, you know, the world and philosophies and the whole mind. Yes. They're too lim- but now that I'm starting to see, so you start seeing all patterns lead to the padre, to mm-hmm. the source, so that you can break it. And so when even like you're seeing it from a different frame, but I'm also seeing it from a different frame, which is like, wow, if more and more people can see in Ephesians, uh, I think it's chapter six, verse 12, a war is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities. Ours and principalities, right? Yes. So these are, there's our spirit, these are spiritual entities that are happening. So when you look at the evil that's going on in the world, we can all agree there's some shenanigans happening. Mm-hmm. We can agree to disagree on who's really pulling the strengths. Mm-hmm. Some of them think they're 13 families. Some of them think they're politicians. I tell people, politics and presidents ain't going to save the world. The king of kings and the prophets, his servants, will. Mm-hmm. Because anytime God wants to deliver his people, he always sends them a prophet. The problem is most people don't believe prophets exist today. But I was exposed. So this is my my vulnerable testimony. Okay, I was addicted to pornography since I was eleven years old. Wow. I'll share this openly with everybody so that everybody can hear. I'm a man. I'm a guy. Okay, I was addicted, and it wasn't like an addiction. It was just like I'm a dude. You know, got involved in porn when I was a young kid, and it was just part of my life. And it just kept it. It was just a habit, a vice. And my wife knew about it. And it was there's no judgment behind it. There's no shame. It was like that's eh, what guys do, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to stop I might be stopped for a day but I'll go back back at it and I had some moments where I try to like you know stop for like six months I'm being completely real right now mm-hmm. okay I wear my heart on my sleeves mm-hmm. right when God told me to go on YouTube I saw these prophets and I was I started watching these it was, it was almost like binge watching and at first I was a skeptic I was like this is a joke this is a scam these are con artists these are whatever but then all of a sudden, I started noticing like my my patterns that were there, like watching porn and you know masturbating and the whole thing left. I had no desire. Hmm. To this day, as I'm speaking to you, it's then August. It was since August, uh, second week of August. So the month of August till now, not one desire. Now this is coming from since I was 11 years old. I'm 35 years old now. Wow. Gone, gone. I didn't have a desire to fix it, to change it. It just left me. Right. The best way I can describe it to people who are listening to this is this way. When you're, imagine you're a glass and this is you, this is your body. You're just a glass or a container, transparent. And let's say there's water inside of you. This is your soul. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your soul's made of your mind, your will, and your emotions, according to the Bible. Okay. Now, as you get older, this pure water becomes tainted by oil, by ink, different experiences, trauma, drama, the whole nine. And those who can see, can see the murky water inside. And so now you get into a sense of independence. You're 18, you're on a path of self-discovery. You want to go do your own thing and establish your own freedom. 
And so you go chase spiritual experience. This has been my journey, right? I I leave my father. I become independent and I chase my spiritual experiences. Maybe ayahuasca, you do some retreats, you do your thing, whatever, right? And you have a cathartic experience where the water that was once you open up, the container opens up and you throw out what was in. But now a new spirit comes in. Mm -hmm. And you don't know the source of that spirit. Spirit guide, shaman, you don't know what's inside. Yeah, but it's different. It's spiritual. It's a new experience. It's cathartic. Oh, but for some reason, the parents keep showing up. And you're still going, you're still going, but there's still a taint. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit is like a big well, gallon of water or 10 gallons of water pours his spirit in this bottle of your called your body, your flesh, wipes out anything impure that was in your soul and is gone. Mm. And you didn't have to move or do a thing. This washed you out. Those people who are still struggling with certain patterns, I can guarantee you they haven't been filled with God's spirit yet. Right. So my my prayer, if I may, just for everybody that's listening to this, I have no discrimination. Honestly, I wouldn't be mad at you if you completely judge me and write me off as a Jesus freak because I get it. And I would judge people like me about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Be like, I cannot listen. But take the gold and throw that throw out the dirt. I'm telling you, there's more than meets the eye than what we're seeing with our natural eyes. Yes. There's something going on. My encouragement, my invitation, my challenge to everybody who's listening to this right now is don't lean on your own understanding about what's going on. Man. Make right with an authority greater than yourself. Make right with an authority. And to understand authority is to understand protection, correction, and direction. Those people who think they're the sole authority of their own lives, they don't understand they're actually the biggest liability to them and their family's legacy. That's right. Me, I'm a steward. I have nothing that I own. I'm a steward. I have one sovereign Lord that I worship now. And I like it that way. It was very hard for me to think on my own two feet. And I trust I'm a smart guy. I'm a very resourceful guy. I'm a very independent guy. But my encouragement to everybody is build a deeper intimate relationship with either your biological father, if you have one, or make peace in that relationship so that you can make a deeper relationship or build a deeper relationship with your heavenly father, if you believe in that. And if you have, I invite you to consider. Jordan, people like Jordan Peterson, the reason why he's so influential is because he's the father figure that everybody has been looking for in our generation. Right. And he's, he's expressed it in such a way. And he's, the, you know, we did, we need different messengers for the same message. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you and I were sharing the same message. We're just different messengers and we're expressing it a little differently. Yeah. You know? And so anyway, I went, that's, no, that's a great, no, it's a great message to end on. I, and I would agree, as you said much earlier, most, if not all the problems in the world are derived from this lack of fathering right whether that's a relationship with it doesn't have to be a biological father right you can look to the lessons of christ you can look to the, there's many many places to look for these lessons but um we do need these role models we do need uh people to imitate figures to imitate etc to become better um i'll throw out two last books here just for people that are interested in like kind of the spiritual aspect of this which is i just finished this one recently the lost knowledge of the imagination 
you know, in the West, we really, we think the whole universe is like this cause and effect billiard ball universe, but there's a whole nother side of knowledge. A lot of it's rooted in these topics we're talking about that's been neglected uh, since the enlightenment. And then there's also this book, uh, this is, I think his name is Navel Goddard. I hope I'm saying that correctly. The Power of Awareness. And he's largely arguing that these we could consider god and christ as like these components of our imagination and and it, it, imagination doesn't mean like i thought of a pink elephant and i saw one appear there's a it's it's a whole different thing they call it the imagination is a nation of his image or images yes so it, it, it's it's literally the port of communication yeah see that's what most of the geniuses get all of their ideas exactly and the mythologies we create are like uh these are representations of that collective imagination. So the rabbit hole runs really deep. It's too much to put into a one hour podcast here, but um, yeah, yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I think, I think you're a brilliant guy, very inspiring. Clearly you've got a gift for sharing these ideas with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, which I really admire as someone who's naturally low enthusiasm. Um, but, but I, uh, I had a, a good time talking to you about this and I hope the audience finds it valuable where people find you on the internet. Um, so my name is kind of difficult to spell, but I'll spell it out for, for you guys. Uh, I'm on, on, I'm on Instagram. Um, so Y A H Y A B as in boy, a K K A R. So that's Yaya Bakar. Um, also, uh, I, I do feel called to support people, especially when it comes like my whole life journey is a child's cry for a father's love. And, um, you know, what I do professionally, it's very, I'm very selective and protective with who I choose to invest my time in supporting in that area. Um, but what I want to do for everybody is to make sure that everybody experiences a father's love to their voice. So I do have a, um, a ministry account called fruitfulfather.org. Um, if you guys feel compelled to to go there, because what I want to do is I want to go on platforms, on stages, and talk about the father wound that I believe everybody is struggling with right now. And it, you know, uh, can I make one recommendation uh, to for in addition to the books? I I would recommend on Amazon Prime uh, if you look up, watch the documentary, show me the father. Mm, okay, because that was one of the catalysts that that made me accept Christ in the way that it happened on March 16th because I kind of got upset that everything was about Jesus, but I couldn't deny the statistics. And if people are looking for more of a rational, logistical, you know, statistical point of view, it will show you why the, 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 the conversation about a father is so, so, so important. And, uh, you know, I, I believe I've been called to speak to fathers, um, to help them become stronger. Um, in and take the role more seriously to deepen the relationship with their fathers um, and to build stronger families along the way. Not perfect families because nobody has a perfect family. But my whole thing is whether you grow together or you grow apart, the key word is grow. Mm. And so I just want to build stronger, you know, families, wiser leaders, a happier, um, you know, happier families along the way. So, well, yeah. we are very grateful to have you doing that. I think it's a very important mission for the world. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Thank you again. This is a lot of fun. It's an honor. God bless.